free. Some glad morning when this life is o'er. Could hear as he called. 
be in God's house again this evening. Amen. Sure appreciate the good help of the Lord in the service this morning and appreciate you coming back and being in the meeting tonight. Amen. That always encourages the heart of the evangelist. Amen. Amen. I heard a fellow say one time, said it was the pastor's responsibility to get them there the first service. But it's the evangelist's responsibility to get them back the second service. So I'm glad you're back. Amen. And uh, we're honored to be here again at Lighthouse Baptist Church. I want you to find your text tonight with us in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm in chapter number 24. Deuteronomy chapter number 24. I want to deal with what I consider to be in the, in the, in the light of the, the law, a very technical passage of scripture. And when I read it tonight, you'll probably say, what in the world is he going to do out of that text? But I trust the Lord will help us and you'll follow along with us for just a few minutes tonight. Deuteronomy chapter number 24. And uh, let's pick up our reading in verse number 17. Deuteronomy 24 and verse number 17. The Bible said, Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in the field, and hast forgot a sheep in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it, It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. For the Lord thy God, or excuse me, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. And when thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger... For the fatherless and for the widow. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. I'll finish there in verse number 22. You'll notice in the text I mentioned that this is somewhat of a technical text because the Lord was giving the children of Israel some very particular directions concerning their means of income. He said, for those of you that have a harvest of sheets, he said, here's how you are to respond or to react in relationship to the harvest of your crops. For those of you that raise olive trees, and I doubt I might find somebody down here that's got a pecan tree, but I don't know that I'd find anybody has got an olive tree. Amen? But he said, here's how I want you to handle your olive trees. And then there's that grape vineyard, and though you may have some Grapes or some muscadines or scutnins growing out behind the house. Probably not your means of living to produce those grapes. And yet, here's some passages that are very specific about how you're supposed to deal with those things. But on the bookends of that passage of Scripture, verse number 22 and verse number 18, there is a directive to you and I in 2020. You'll notice that verse 18 and verse... 22 are basically mirror verses. They look at each other and you can see one in the other. And they both begin with this admonishment. The Bible said, thou shalt remember. Amen. Thou shalt remember. 
When I look at this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded that the children of Israel are about to cross over the Jordan and inherit the promised land of God. They are going to the land that God had swore that he would give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When they cross over into the land of Canaan, he reminds them in another passage, he said, you're going to live in houses that you did not build. He said, you're going to eat from the crops that you did not plant, and you're going to clean grapes out of vineyards that you did not plant. He said, these are the blessings that I'm going to bestow upon you. Those those spies had already gone over in the land of promise. And, and he said, this is the land that flows with milk and honey. He said, there's a, there's grapes down in the valley of Eskal that'll carry, that'll require two men to carry. Amen. I hadn't quite figured it out yet. Mace Jackson thought it was the size of the grapes. I heard him say one time, he said when they got down to cross a particular ford in the creek, he said they had that cluster of grapes they'd cut out of the valley of Eskal. And he said one of those 12 spies was a little bit of a girly fella. And he didn't like to get his hair wet. And so he reached over, took a grape, plucked it off, took his pin knife out, cut the top off, pulled out the goodie and eat it, and pulled that grape cut hull down over his head like a skull cap and crossed over the river. Amen? Now, I don't know if he did or not. But the Bible said that it took two men to carry and that cluster of grapes. Amen. Hey, hey, I'm telling you, it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was going to be far beyond their wildest imaginations. It was going to be far better than they could have ever imagined. It was going to be far more than they would have ever requested or asked for. That's the land that God has prepared for them. They're going to inherit that. They're going to, they're going to move into that. They're going to receive that. But God has a word of admonition for them before He allows them to inherit that blessing. He says there are some things that you must remember. Amen. There's some things that you must remember. I will use that thought tonight, preach for a little bit on this subject. Remembrance that brings revival. There is a remembrance. Hey, we gathered and made our preparations and plans. We had Service this morning, service tonight. Of course, these are regular days of the week, regular services of the week. But tomorrow night, special service. Tuesday night, special service. Wednesday night, though you have midweek service, it's at a different time and it's a special time. It's the revival time that we've set aside. We've come seeking God to give us something that we need. We've come asking God to pour out upon us. There's some blessings that we can receive. Amen. And God said, before I bless you, there's some things that you must remember. Now, would you notice that he identifies three distinct things in verse number 18. And we want to walk through those for just a little bit tonight. Number one, you'll notice this first expression. He said, thou shalt remember, number one, that thou wast a bondman, in Egypt. Amen. I want you to write down your notes tonight that you've got to remember your ruin. Amen. Remember your ruin. Now, I'm in America's Georgia tonight. I'm out in the middle of pecan trees and peanut fields. I think I can get away with using the word ruin. Amen. You'd be surprised. Amen. I go in some churches that are a little more uptown and you use that word ruin and they kind of look at you like, 
I don't understand that terminology. Uh, what language are you speaking? Do you have a translator? Uh, but I grew up understanding what the word ruin mean. Uh, what it meant was this. It meant that it was good for nothing but to be thrown out uh, and placed in the garbage. Amen. Uh, I tell folks my mother had a smell test. That's how she determined if something was ruined or not. Amen. Uh, you go in her house and you'd say, Mom, there's some outdated milk in the refrigerator. Is it any good? She'd say, I don't know. Bring it here. Let me smell of it. Uh, and there's some casserole left over from last week's dinner. Is it any good? She'd say, let me smell of it. Uh, my mother had some surgery uh, unexpectedly, had a gallstone, had to have her gallbladder removed in January. And so I, I didn't have a meeting for a few days. And so I went over to help them, uh, help dad get her in and out of the house and so forth. And, and, uh, and uh, there was I, was, I was fixing lunch and there was some ham uh, that they'd had a few days before mom got sick. And I said, Mom, is that ham still any good? I didn't know how long it had been in the refrigerator. And she said, I don't know. Bring it in here. Let me smell of it. Well, Mom would take a smell of the milk or the lunch meat or the casserole, and then she'd pronounce her judgment. She'd say, oh, it's all right. Go ahead and eat it. Or she might say, it's ruined. Just throw it away. Hey, it's not good for anything. It'll harm you. It'll make you sick. It means that it was wasted and worthless. Hey, can I say to you tonight that what God wants the children of Israel and to remember in verse number 18 is that they were ruined. And the Scripture said they were bondsmen in the land of Egypt. And may I remind you there was a time in our lives when we didn't fill a church pew on a Sunday night. We didn't look churchy on the Lord's day. But we were lost without God. And we were without hope in the world. We were ruined. Notice there's some pictures in the text. He talks about that they were down in the land of Egypt. And that's a picture of our depravity. Amen. I'm not a Calvinist. Don't get nervous. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'll be honest with you. You're not going to go far until you understand that you and I had no hope. And we had no help without the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's never been anybody that could save themselves. And when he paints that picture of depravity down in Egypt, they were bondsmen, they were slaves, they were in captive, and they could not help themselves. 400 years they'd been down there in the bondage of Egypt. And may I say, sin had a hold on us. All of us need to bring to mind those days when we couldn't turn over a new leaf. We couldn't get a fresh start. We couldn't start a new chapter. We tried to do better and it failed every time. We were lost without God. We were hopeless without God. And to be honest about it, we didn't even know we needed God. And there's a picture of their depravity. And then you'll notice in the text, and there's a picture of their debt. He says in the middle of verse number 18 that they were bondsmen in the land of Egypt. Now wait a minute. Several other texts he calls them slaves. I do believe they were slaves. The word slave implies somebody that cannot run fast enough without getting caught. It implies they've been captured. They've been overcome. Somebody bigger than they were has put 
them in bondage. But the idea of a bondsman is different. For it's not the results of being conquered. It's the results of their consequences and their choices. Oh, may I say to you, that's where you were. We were sinners by nature. We were birthed in sin. But ultimately, we made the choice. And we sold ourselves out. We owed a debt that we could not pay. Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 23 said, The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the picture's getting dark. The colors are darkening. And there is a sense of discouragement. For this picture is one of depravity. A man that cannot help himself. It's a picture of debt. For he owed a debt, a bill that he could not pay. And then it's a picture of defeat. Isn't there something desperately sad about verse number 18? If you study the history of the days that Israel was in the land of Egypt, there's a good possibility it's not guaranteed. But there's a good possibility that the children of Israel outnumbered the Egyptians. It's roughly estimated that in excess of two million individuals that came out of Egypt and crossed over into the wilderness headed to the promised land. The scriptures referred to them as a mixed multitude. And so there was a host of folks. Not only that, but can I remind you that the children of Israel were safe from the plagues. And yet God had decimated the nation of Egypt with the judgment of plagues. And the firstborn of every house lay dead. There was frogs and lice and locusts. And it was a mess down in the land of Egypt. It appears that they could only muster up 600 horses and their chariots to pursue after the Israelites when they left Egypt that day. And yet, and yet, though they outnumbered them, though they may have been stronger than them, they were defeated. The odds were in their favor, but yet they could not gain their freedom or their liberty. Hey, can I remind you, there was a time in your life when you tried and you tried and you tried. And some of you, God gave the best circumstances that could have possibly been known. Christian family and home, a good solid church and a preacher and a Bible, amen. And yet, every effort seemed to fail. Every attempt to free yourself from the bondage of sin left you high and dry. Hey, we need to be reminded that the smell test didn't pass. That our lives were worthless. It was good for nothing. There's nothing good in us. We need not think more of ourselves than we should. Because God wants to remind us that our lives were wrecked and ruined before we met the Savior. So we see in the text number one that we must remember our ruin. And then secondly, we see the second expression in verse number 18, he said, not only uh, should we remember our ruin, uh, but notice the text. He said, and the Lord thy God 
redeemed thee thence. He said, if you ever want revival and a stir up in your heart, if you ever want revival to stir up in your soul, it'll start when you take a good look at yourself and you remind yourself of where you would have been had it not been. Amen. I'll just be honest with you. I know me. I saved at the age of seven. I saved on a church pew out of a Christian family, out of a Christian home, under the shadow of the steeple. I've never known anything but church. I've been preaching since I was ten years of age. Somebody said it's a fad. He'll outgrow it. I'm not sure about that. I've grown quite a th- I've outgrown quite a few things, but I'm not outgrown that. And yet I need not think I'm anything for what the years of age and maturity has taught me, Brother Kidman. It's my own weaknesses. And when I look inside of me, I think to myself, had it not been that Brother Dent for the good grace of God that saved me at an early age and kept me from being exposed to some of the things that are in the world. Oh, I'm persuaded with every ounce of my being, every fiber that I am, that those things would have had a hold on me that I would not have been able to break free from. That they would have been my destruction, my downfall, and ultimately my death. But thank God, just as in verse number 18, there's a comma at the end of the expression, thou wast a bondman in Egypt, comma. And then there's a conjunction. And the phrase is and. He does not deny the first. But he says, hold on, there is a second. He said, we were ruined. Our lives were a wreck. We were going down for the last time. We had no hope. We had no help. But he said, look at here. God showed up. God passed by. And the Lord thy God redeemed thee. I'd say to you, if you ever have revival, it'll start. When you look at what you are and who you are and where you've been and what you could have been had it not been for Calvary and the cross and Christ. But then there's the matter of our Redeemer. Now I want you to notice with me, there's first of all a magnification of our Deliverer. He is the Lord. Now to notice the expression that's used in verse number 18, I like it. Three expressions in fact. He said on one end there is the phrase, He is Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now Bible students know that's the underlying word for Jehovah. He's the El Shaddai. He is the God of Israel. That word is simply intended to make sure you and I understand it's not the Amorites' gods. It's not the Parasites' gods. It's not the Jebusites' gods. It is the God of Israel that made the difference in their lives. 
He's Lord. But with that word Lord, there comes a certain acknowledgement of authority. Somebody said, I made Christ Lord. I say hogwash. He is Lord a long time before you got around. But acknowledging it, He's still Lord. My Bible said in the book of Philippians chapter number 2, every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. I'm telling you, He's Lord. He has authority. He's in control. He's in charge. I'm glad I know Him tonight. Amen. I'm glad I know Him tonight. He's Lord. Now I want you to notice. Now we jump to the other end of that same expression. On the front end, He said He's Lord. On the back end, He said He's God. Hey, that changes things a little bit. He's not the little G God. He's the big G God. I was in Dalton, Georgia 20 plus, I guess, close to 20 years ago. And I was at the... Whitfield Baptist Church and they had a special Tuesday night service and Dr. Rodden Garris was preaching that. Dr. Garris came and preached that day and he said he got to telling a story out of the book of Isaiah and he got to talking about the Lord being God. And he said the image in your Bible is the image of a teeter-totter. And there was a quietness that went over the crowd because that crowd of city slickers didn't know what a teeter-totter was. That's so if you don't know what a teeter-totter is, it's a seesaw with a fancy name. Amen. It's when you take a board, put it on a pivot, and one side goes up and the other side goes down. And amazing fun is held by children all around. Amen. Dr. Garrett said that picture in the Bible was a teeter-totter. He said, God, Jehovah, invited all the little G-gods to come down to the playground and play a little while. If you can imagine and Dr. Garris, that educated orator, uh, that silver-tongued preacher, uh, every hair in place, the one that put his fist out, said, if you don't like that, run into that at 60 miles an hour. Amen. Uh, and his other favorite expression sounded something like this, look me in your God-given eyeball. Amen. Uh, Dr. Garris said as he began to describe the playground scene, uh, he said, all the little G-gods came, uh, the gods of the Amorites and the Pharisites uh, and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Pharisees' gods. All of those began to come. And they said that they said, I said the Pharisees' gods. That's probably right and it wasn't right. I should have said the Philistines' gods. They all came down to see the playground. And God was standing up on His end of the teeter-totter. He said, y'all get on. And they said, we're too big for you. And there's too many of us that we're outweighing you. He said, oh, it'll be all right. He said, just get on. And with reluctance, those little G-gods all piled on the opposite end of the teeter-totter. Then Brother Burke, he said this. He said, God sat down for all of eternity. He said, can't you see their little legs are dangling? And they're saying, let us down, let us down. Well, I'm glad we've got God on our side. But I'm glad I'm on God's side. Can you hear me tonight? If He's Lord.
Lord. He's the one that is in charge. There's an authority. But if He's God, there's an ability. In the beginning, Genesis 1, verse number 1. In the beginning, God. That's all you need to know. Everything else falls in line. In the beginning, God. Hey, we're all about God. Capital G. That's on one end of the expression, He's Lord. And on the other end of the expression, He's God. I'm saying things is picked up. And the picture's a little brighter than when we were ruined. But watch this now, Brother Dent. Right in the middle of those two expressions, the Lord and God. There's a little three-letter word. It doesn't even deserve a capital letter. It's a lowercase pronoun. How about that? It doesn't even qualify for proper. It's just there. Seemingly just tying the sentence together. But it changes everything. For he said, He's the Lord thy God. Woo! Hallelujah. And suddenly we've got a different expression. Because it's not just the Lord who is authoritative. That it's not just God who has the ability. But it's Him. He's ours. There's a relationship identified. I'd say to you, we could have revival again. If we just stir up that relationship. And take Him by the hand and go for a stroll. Hey, He's your God. He's your now, he has a relationship with us. Bless His name. He's ours tonight. I'm excited because He said He wasn't ashamed to be called our God. Amen. You get through these meetings, you may be ashamed of your pastor for having somebody like me in. You may be ashamed to meet me on the side of the road. But I'm going to tell you, he's never been ashamed of me. I've been ashamed of him. I'm ashamed to say I've been ashamed of him a few times. He's never, not one time, not wanted to associate himself with me. He's never denied me. He's always acknowledged me. i got good news. He's always heard me. I'd say thank God for a personal relationship with the God of heaven. The God of heaven. I mentioned Brother Thomas, my pastor, Willard Thomas, this morning. I'm in South Georgia. I can tell this. And uh, Brother Dan, you'll... You'll appreciate it. <laughs> Brother Willard sold restaurant equipment and, uh, and church furniture. He was a Baptist through and through. Amen. Cause when Baptists meet, they eat. Amen. And, uh, y'all can't say nothing. We're eating at the church tonight, aren't we? Amen. And so Brother Willard sold restaurant equipment and he sold uh, furniture, church furniture, pulpits, pews, and so forth. Amen. And so he'd make calls down in little towns and he, he had a little route that he was running down in South Georgia somewhere. I don't know where he was at. We just say he was beside, he was below the net line. Amen. Uh, y'all are on the net line, but there is those that lie below the net line. Somebody say amen right there. And uh, he said that, he said that he was down on uh, a little old two lane road and he said he had to make a call on a little cafe. 
that was on the side of the highway out in the middle of nowhere, and he said he pulled in. It was just about lunchtime, and he met the owner, and he took his order for the equipment that he was selling them, and he said since it was about lunchtime, he, he pulled up on one of the stools at the counter, and they had a good little lunch bill. He said he's just going to eat lunch and then head on down the road. And he said he ordered from the little waitress, and they were bringing his food out. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, you heard big old tires uh, turning gravel. The garden lot was gravel. and come off the highway, and they was running a little too fast. And he said, you could hear the gravel spinning out of that truck. And he said, looked up in uh, the front pane window of that cafe. And he said, just an old beat-up pickup truck. He said, looked like a farm vehicle. He said, it's dent and dinged and rust spots. And it looked rough, like it ought not be running, but it was running just fine. And he said, but that guy come in on almost two wheels, and he throwed her in park. And he said he got out, and he's just in a pair of overalls, and you could tell he came right off the farm. Uh, and he come in that uh, he come in that little cafe, and he was just a fussing. And he has a talking to himself, brother Dent, but he was a fussing, just a fussing. Uh, he said he he come because that was the only place in the county that had a telephone. Somebody say amen right there, Brother David. Amen. Had a payphone. You kids don't have no clue what that is. They are in museums now. Amen. But we grew up, we know when it was a dime. Amen. And he said he'd come in there and he said, there's that payphone standing on the wall. And he said he was talking loud enough everybody in there could hear him. Just a little cafe to start with. And he said he reached in his pocket, fumbled around, found his dime. And he took that uh, receiver off of that phone, had a rotary dial. Somebody say amen right there. And he said it was the days when Lester Maddox was governor. He said he put his coin in that box. And he began, he fumbled around in his wallet and he took out a slip of paper. And he said, he said, there it is. He found what he's looking for. He took out that slip of paper and he started dialing those numbers. And he said, Brother Willard said, by now he's got my full attention. And he said, you could hear that phone ringing through the handset. And he said, in a minute, a voice on the other end, you couldn't determine what was being said. That fella said, yes. Hello, Lester. Well, I'm all right. He said he proceeded to say, but this is going on, this is going on, and I need you to fix this, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He's just running down the list, and he said in a little bit, he said as we all sat there and listened to his conversation, he said, he said, thank you, Lester. I knew I could count on you. All right, I'll talk to you later. Click, hung up the phone. Well, you just had no brother Willard. That wasn't going to go without being challenged. Brother Willard said he went over there and he said that guy come up, gonna get a cup of coffee or something. And he said, uh, he said, hey, was you talking to the governor? He said, yes, he's a friend of mine. I've got his private number. He said, you mean to say you have a telephone number that'll get to the governor's match out? And he said, I do. He said, I just dialed this number. And he said, uh, you'd had no Brother Willard now. Brother Willard said, you think I could have that number? <laughs> Never know when you might need it. Amen. He said, I reached over and got a paper napkin and uh, pulled my pen out of my pocket. He said, I don't guess it hurt. And he said, he threw that piece of paper over and I took, wrote down that phone number on that paper napkin, gave him his piece of paper back. And he said, no sooner than that fella spun gravel heading back up the highway. He said, I was a lemon in my pocket to find my dime. <laughs> He said, I went over to that payphone, put my dime in, took that paper napkin and started dialing that number. And he said, it wasn't long until there was a rough, gruff voice on the other end that said, this is Lester, what can I do for you? And he said, nothing today, Governor, I just wanted to make sure it was you. Boy, I'm glad that I've got a direct line there. Hey, hallelujah! 
I've got a direct line. I know how to get in. And because He's my Lord and He's my God, and just remember, I'm the Lord thy God redeemed thee then. He said, remember the deliverer. Then I want you to take notice quickly now. He said, think about the deed. What did He do for you? He said, He redeems you. I said, He said, He redeems you. You know, the Bible said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So I was down in Panama, and I always try to have something with the kids to kind of keep them engaged with what I'm preaching and so I told them this time we use that verse of scripture, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I asked my translator, I asked the missionary's wife, I said, in the Spanish Bible, what is the word or how does the words translate for that expression? Let the redeemed of the Lord that say so. And she told me the word. I can't remember it now, something with a D. And uh, I, ought to, I ought to write it down. It would help me, I guess. But she said, what it means he is, she said, it, it's almost slang speech. <laughs> And she said it really just means, uh, in the Spanish side, she said it means say so, say so, just just say it, uh, get it out and say it. And I said, well, that's what we want to say. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, uh, say they're redeemed. Uh, and she said they use that expression uh, in the more emotional churches. I said, what do you mean? She said sometimes the preacher will get to preaching and saying something they want him to say. And he's dealing good and, and, and said out of the crowd they utter that Spanish word. And what they're saying is just say it. Just come on and say it. Just come on and say it. Hey, my Bible said let the redeemed of the Lord. Just come on and say it. Amen. Hey, we've been redeemed. There's nothing more precious, nothing sweeter, nothing more substantiating to life than the fact we've been redeemed. Hallelujah. He reached down and purchased us. See, the idea of redemption implies that he had to buy us back. Amen. Had to purchase us back. Well, that word redemption or redeemed here is similar to the idea in the Old Testament law and the tradition of the Jew of that kinsman redeemer. You remember the story in the book of Ruth that uh, Naomi had come back with only Ruth from the land of Moab and they were they were poverty stricken. They owed it dead. But there was a next of kin by the name of Boaz uh, and uh, he he saw Ruth and he ends up wooing Ruth. And he ends up marrying Ruth. He was a kinsman redeemer. Now, the law of the kinsman redeemer had three rules that had to be mandated. They had to be met. Number one, he had to have the right relationship. Amen. He had to have the right relationship. You see, if he didn't have the right relationship... And then he couldn't redeem. It had to be a next of kin. Even in the story of, even in the story of Boaz and Ruth, you remember there was a near of kin. And that near of kin had to be, uh, had to turn down his obligation first uh, before Naomi, uh, before Boaz could step in and redeem Ruth and the things that belonged to her husband. Uh, had to have the right relationship. Uh, can I tell you, he's our nearest of kin. Because he took on the robes of humanity just like we do so that he could be our next of kin. Amen. Then number two, not only did he have to have the right relationship, but you'll need to get on to this. He had to have the right resources. Right. Now that seems to go without saying. 
But there could have been an extra kin that didn't have the means. That, that may very well be the situation. That fellow said, I can't take her inheritance lest I mar my own inheritance. So there had to be the right resources, had to have the ability to pay the tab. Amen. But unless he was a brother by blood, there was a third rule. That third regulation was that he had to be willing. The R would be ready. He had to be ready. He could not be forced to do it. He had to choose to do it. Well, let's hold the mules and shout up 280 tonight. He's my nearest to kin. He took on the robes of flesh that I bore. And yet he had the resources because he was perfect and sinless. And the Son of God without reproach. I'm glad he was willing. He set his face as a flint toward Jerusalem. No man could take his life. But he laid it down and he gave it freely. And so that you and I could have life. So that you and I could be set free. Oh, look at his deed. He redeemed us. Let me give you a not only do we see his deed and we see the deliverer, but we see the delight. Now again, I just like words in the Bible. I, I'm not a, I'm not a preservist by accident. I'm a preservist by conviction. God said what he meant, meant what he said. Those words are not just there to fill up space. They mean something. And so when he says to us, look at the text, verse number 18. He said, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. And then he ends that statement with the word thence. Hallelujah. Doesn't sound like much, just a passing phrase. I got good news. There's such a delight in that phrase. Because the word thence, it may be old English to some, but it's near and dear to my heart. It just simply means not where you used to be. Hey, let me say that again because some of you didn't get it. It just means not where you used to be. I'm glad he didn't leave me where he found me. I'm glad he picked me up and took me somewhere else. He found me in my sin, but he didn't leave me in my sin. Hallelujah. There's a crap that preaches a salvation without any change. They think a man gets converted by the good grace of God. And he just keeps living and looking and living the same way he's always lived and looked. I believe that belittles the grace of God that brings men out of sin, introduces him to the Savior. I'm not what I used to be. Hallelujah. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He didn't leave me where he found me, but he set my feet on a solid foundation. He established my going. Wrote my name down in the Lamb's book of I'm not what I used to be. He said, you better remember your redemption. He said, you better remember your ruin. Remember your redemption. Look quickly with me. Verse number 18 again. This is what he said. Therefore. It's an interesting transitional word, isn't it? Therefore. Because. Amen. So you all ready for this? What I'm about to preach does not apply to you if you hadn't been saved. How's that fit? Amen. Huh? If you've never been converted, you get a pass. If you've never been redeemed, you get a pass. If the verdict on your life's never been ruined and redeemed, you get an exception. You can just go on. It doesn't matter anymore. Might as well go on out and eat. Amen. Oh, no. But he said, for those of us 
who used to be lost, but now we're found. That once was blind, but now we see. For those that were dead, I say, praise God, I may have to shout a while. But we're alive again. He said, therefore, because I done went and done what I done for you, therefore, he said, I command you to do this thing. What's he saying? He said, you better remember your ruin. You better remember your redemption. He said, don't lose sight of your responsibility. God has left us here with a purpose. God has put a responsibility on our shoulders. And God expects something out of you and I because He's saved us. Now don't get nervous. Make sure you get this down now. I said because He saved us. Not to save us. Amen. We're saved in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We found grace and faith. But he said, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Verse number 10, unto good works, which he hath foreordained for the foundation of the world that we should walk therein. Amen. Oh, yeah. I'm just telling you, there's a responsibility in the life of a believer. He didn't save you and leave you for naught. Are you listening to me? Hey, God didn't save you and leave you here for naught. Now, we believe in the eternal security of the believer because when he saved you, he perfected you. Y'all got that. I know you do. Amen. When the Holy Ghost moved in the day we were born again, he, 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 he birthed us in the perfection of Christ. That's why the Scripture said that, that, that uh, he which is born of God cannot sin. Amen. You say, preacher, you don't know the life I've lived. Hadn't affected that inner man. That's in that unsaved outer man. Hallelujah. That outer man's as wicked as it's ever been. It's just constrained by the inner man and the presence of the Holy Ghost that indwells the inner man. Say amen right there. And so, and so when God saved a man, He perfected that man. He's sinless. He's just as God was. Amen. You say, well, how does He make that stick? He sealed it. Amen. Just like summer cannon ladies. Amen. I used to tell folks when I was a boy, Mom didn't can a lot. She froze more than she can. But she always canned her green beans, and then she'd always can some preserves and things that she'd put up. And uh, if you know anything about canning, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the, I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak, you, you take those jars out. It's got that ring, got that lid. That lid's got that wax ring, and they'd take that thing, get it hot, and put it on top of that jar. And then there was a chemical process that took place inside of that jar, but it took several hours while it's sitting on the counter. And then it would pop that lid down and it produced a vacuum seal on that wax ring inside. And it guaranteed the perfection of those vegetables that was put up on a hot summer day in the middle of a, in the middle of a February storm. It guaranteed they'd be just as good as the day they were when they went in. I used to tell folks, I said, you better know what's going on. You'd think World War II broke out. About the time those wax seals started setting, it sounded like rifles being shot in the kitchen. Pop, pop, pop. But you can rest assured every time something went pop, it meant there's something good being saved for later. Hallelujah. 
Now hear me, I've been saved and I've been sealed until the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 14, the seal said over 45 years ago, almost 46. I can't wait for the day when the good Holy Ghost pops the seal in a far better land than this. And I'll be just as perfect as I was the day that He saved me. Hallelujah. There's a lot of junk on the outside. Amen. He's not looking for perfection, but He's looking for those that will live up to their responsibility. He said, I've got a job for you. I've got a way for you to live. I've got a behavior that I expect you to be a participant in. And because I saved you. Amen. If it hadn't have been that He had a responsibility for us, He took us to heaven the day He saved us. Amen. Because ultimately he's in the process of perfecting the outer man, but it'll never happen. Isn't that disturbing news? Amen. But it will happen. I, I, that outer man will go to the dust, and when it's resurrected in a new body, it'll be a perfect body, like in fashion unto his glorious body. Somebody say amen right there. So he could have spared you a lot of grief. He could have spared you a lot of days of trouble had it not been and that he had a responsibility for your job. That he wanted you to do. Now I want you to notice and I'll deal with them quickly. Number one, he said that we have a responsibility to the helpless. And when you come down to verse number 19, actually you can go back up to verse number 17. He identifies three categories, three categories of people. He said, don't pervert the judgment. These are the people. He said, the stranger, nor the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. There they are, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Verse number 19, you'll see those three again. He said, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Verse 20, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Verse 21, the stranger, the fatherless, and for the widow. He said, you've got a responsibility to the helpless. By the way, these have a common denominator. They have different backgrounds. But they have a common denominator. And the denominator that is common amongst them is their helpless condition. Amen. What he said was, uh, the first is the stranger. That is the man with a political problem. He has no privilege. Uh, I've had the privilege of preaching in about 19 foreign countries, I think. Last I counted, I visited probably 25 foreign countries. And so I know what it is to go outside the confines of the United States of America. I'm not a citizen of those countries. Uh, And they do not afford me the rights and privileges that a citizen obtains. I'm a stranger. Amen. God said, Israel, you need to remember that you were a stranger. That you had no rights and you had no privilege. They're helpless. They, they, they cannot help themselves. May I say that you and I are enjoying privilege tonight. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. The most important fellowship that you and I will enjoy tonight is not the fellowship around the table. That's right. Amen. Now, we're Baptists and we like to eat. Amen. And we'll enjoy taking a plate and putting the good bounty that the ladies and men have prepared and placed on the bar back there. It'll be a good night. But the greatest fellowship that we'll enjoy will not be you men and you women shaking hands with each other and taking a cup of coffee and another piece of cake. But the greatest fellowship that we'll enjoy tonight is with the God of heaven that condescends to the lowest state of man, knows where a little church is on the side of U.S. Highway 280 in Sumter County, that knows where a little group of believers has assembled themselves together. And because two or three are gathered in His name, He is in the midst of them. And when I said, Lord, 
Brother Jody, if you get in trouble tonight, if you get in trouble, you get in a mess, whatever the situation is, illness, sickness, whatever case, some tragedy takes place, God forbid that it does, my friend. But in that moment, you may pick up the telephone, call your preacher, and he'll do what he can. You may call other men in the church, and they'll come and, and be what they could be or see what they could help in some capacity. But I'm glad you got thrown access. Yeah, you can. You don't have to have a telephone. You can just bow your head and whisper yeah, a prayer. Yeah, and then sometimes don't even have to say the words. It just comes out of your heart. The good Holy Ghost knows how to interpret those groans. Makes them known in the ears of the Father. And about the time the Holy Ghost delivers your message, the Son reaches over and taps the Father on the arm and says, Dad, that's one of mine. They need something tonight. They could use some help tonight. And the Father said, I don't know on what grounds I should extend any kind of privilege of grace to them. Look how wicked and what a failure they been uh, and the son reaches out that hand uh, and he said father because of these wounds I bid you uh, would you touch that situation uh, the whole countenance of the God of heaven changes uh, and he dispatches bands of angels uh, to come to the aid of his I'm going to God hallelujah uh, I'm talking about privilege uh, uh, we're a child of God uh, we can act like a child of God uh, uh, we've got a privilege that the stranger is not aware of and it's our duty to reach out to those that are helpless tonight they have no privilege and then he said he said the stranger and then he said the fatherless isn't that interesting now the fatherless was a unique breed because they had no daddy and then since they had no daddy they had no protector <laughs> there's a whole crowd out there that that's fallen prey Brother Kidman, they're falling prey every hour to the clutches of hell itself and to sin's destructive power because they don't have somebody to go between. They don't have somebody to stand in the gap. And God said, we have a responsibility to those that are helpless tonight. He said, the fatherless. He said, they have no, he said, they have no protector. And then he said, the widow. He said, they have nobody. No passion. Nobody to love them. <laughs> nobody to care for them. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> nobody ever cared for me like he did. Uh, nobody's ever been as tender to me as he's been. Uh, woo! I'm glad tonight uh, that God shows his love for us uh, in a manifested presence uh, that the world does not have. Uh, but we have a duty to take them and bring them to the Savior so they can know the privilege and they can know the protection and they can know the passion that comes from a relationship with the God of heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. So there's a responsibility in the harvest. Y'all about preach me out. Number two, there's a responsibility, excuse me, to the helpless, but there's also a responsibility in the harvest. He identifies three things. Verses 19, 20, 21 he said, there's a harvest. And he said, we've got a duty in the harvest. I think it was the McCamey some years ago that recorded the song. You almost never hear it sung because it was such a convicting song. It's amazing how convicting songs never make the charts. Amen. But this song said, my house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? Plenty of food on the table. But you hear the father sadly cry, 
My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? God needs some of us to get out in the harvest. Amen. Notice the harvest. Let me deal with it quickly. First is the harvest of the sheaves. That's a picture of souls. Psalms 126. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And I'm, I, hey, let me, let me just correct some theology. We're not gathering the corners. You won't find that in the Bible. No, sir. We're not gathering up the remains. We're not getting what's left over. Amen. Oh, but there is a harvest of sheaves out there. There's souls out there. And they need a Savior. Hey, God still is in the much of the saving business today as He was 50 years ago. Amen. The day the foundational stones of this church was laid, God was in the saving business or you wouldn't have had a church. And I got good news, 2020, God's still in the saving business. Hey, hey, God is still in the saving business. He still saves. Amen. We got a responsibility to the, in the harvest of souls. And then he talks about the olive tree. The olive tree produces oil. That's a picture of the Spirit of God. He said we need to have a responsibility when it comes to the matter of submitting ourselves to the Holy Ghost. Yeah. You know why we get more trouble? Because we don't submit to the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Amen. Amen. My boys get frustrated because I use them as illustrations, but y'all heard that old slogan, anything done in a preacher or pastor's home is subject and will be used in the pulpit. Say amen right there. Amen. And so my boys get in trouble. I mean, they get in trouble more often. And when I mean in trouble, they don't draw my wrath or my punishment, although that does take place. So I need to be a little more. They weren't in here. Well, Spencer was. He's playing her sleep. And so Brother Dan has authorized tough love. Amen. And so we're going to toughen up, Will. Hallelujah. Amen. You can ask your mom about it a little bit. But, uh, but, but they get in trouble more often than not. They get themselves in a situation more often than not because they do not listen to what I told them to do or not to do. You mamas and daddies say amen. Help me just a little bit right there. Amen. Don't go there. They went there. Then they're in trouble. Amen. Don't lift that up. Don't pick that up. Whatever the case is. And then they've got a situation that I've got to intervene. I've got to come to their rescue. They've ruined something. They've broken something. They've messed something up when it wouldn't have happened. But they've tuned me out. Amen. Just like John Dick get his telephone out and crank those head pieces up just whichever way he wants to do. If he don't like my preaching, he don't have to listen. He can just turn them off. Amen. And I'm afraid my boys have a tendency, they, my words just sound like they mix lost in the atmosphere. They are, they're just lost in space. And they just do what they're going to do and they don't pay that no mind and it, there's a price to be paid. Amen. Right? They don't listen. They're not tuned in to my voice. If they just listened, it would have spared them a whole lot of difficulty, a whole lot of trouble. Whole lot of problems, Will. Whole lot of problems. But they tune me out. I wonder how many times have we tuned out the good Holy Ghost. Because I'm just here to tell you, next time you're 
digging yourself out of the hole you dug by doing the thing you weren't supposed to do in the first place. You come along way too late to believe the Holy Ghost stood on the sideline and said, I'm just going to wait and see what happened. Yeah. The omniscient God who knows tomorrow while it's still today had a, had a hand to try to stop you. And you say, I didn't hear anything. You wouldn't listen it. You're just going to have to tune your ears right. Amen. Get your hearing aids in line. Listen to the voice of God. Amen. He said, you've got a responsibility to the Holy Ghost. And unless we get back to listening to the Spirit of God in our lives, we're never going to be what we could or should be for the honor and for the glory of God. Number three, he said, here's the last of those three. He said, there's grapes on the vine. Now, grapes produce wine. Wine's a picture of worship. And I believe we've got a responsibility. Not only in the business of listening to him, submit ourselves to the Holy Ghost. Not only in responsibility for laboring for him to go out into the fields and get those sinners that are saved. But, oh, I believe we have a responsibility in lifting him up. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He deserves our gratitude. But there's more than gratitude. There is appreciation and acknowledgement of his very person. And if we be like Job, Job said, Though he slay me, I'm going to praise him. Though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. Though he slay me, I'm going to love him. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. He knows what's best. He deserves our praise. i close with this. This third thought. Therefore, I command thee. He said, you have a responsibility in the har- helpless into the harvest. But he did say, I want you to notice your helper. And I'm done. Look at verse number 19. We could deal with 20 or 21. We could deal with either one of them. But uh, let's just deal with 19. He said, Mr. Grain Farmer... And it, this would apply in multiple, multiple ways, both corn and barley and wheat. He said, he said, when you cut your fields, he said, I don't want you to go back and cut them a second time. And that's why he said, if you forgot a sheath in the field, there was two things this represented according to Jewish tradition. One, they cut those fields in circles. And that was just the sickle. And I'm sure many of you have seen a sickle. We don't have a lot of fellows use them much anymore. But a good man with a sickle, Brother Dewberry, could stand in the middle of a circle. And they said that he could turn a 360-degree turn. So he'd go all the way around with that sickle cut low to the ground and cut that grain. Now, I'm not real smart, but... Geometry teaches me that if he's cutting a circle, but the field's laid off in a square, mm-hmm. there's corners. And so what the Jew was forbidden to do was to go back and gather those corners. He said, don't go gather those corners. Because those are what the strangers and the fatherless and the widows are going to come along and glean from. Yeah. And so he would move over to the next little square, and he would line that sickle up to the edge of that previous circle and he would do it again. But if you can imagine, he was leaving a substantial portion of his field. The second one was the gathering. When they raked that together and they made that mound that we think about, he said, if you've raked it once and it leaves a scattering, he said, leave them be. 
He said it'll make it easier for those that are gleaning after you. Oh, by the way, that's what Ruth found when Boaz said to his young men, he said, leave her some handfuls of purpose. Not on purpose, of purpose. <laughs> they said, we don't understand that. He said, you will when I wed her. <laughs> Woo! I'll just have to have that another day. Amen. Yeah. But he said, he said, that, he said, don't rake it again. Leave those handfuls. And so here I want you to picture the farmer. In a good year, Brother David, no problem. The crops are plentiful. There'll be plenty in the barns. He'll be able to sell his surplus, buy the other things he needs, supply for his family, take care of business. But what about those lean years? Is it not possible that as much as 15 or 20% of his field could be left standing if the corners are not regathered? Oh, sure it is. I don't know. Somebody probably could take geometry and figure that out for me. But, but do you understand what I'm saying? There was a, there was a chance that, that there might not be enough. If it's a lean year, if things are tight, if the resources are limited, if the drought has affected the harvest, leaving those corners might make the difference between his family having enough to get through the winter or not. But God said, I want you to do it for me. Yeah. Now, wait a minute, Lord. We don't quite understand. Why would you say leave something that's so precious to us, leave something that's so critical to our survival But I want you to look in verse number 19, and this is where we're going to unhitch tonight. Look at the last phrase. He said that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. He said when you get involved in the harvest, when you get involved in your responsibility... And you do it according to the way God wants it done and you pay the price and you sacrifice and you trust Him and you have a life of faith. He said it unties the hands of an Almighty God. And oh, can I say to you that when the crop is failing in the field and there won't be enough if you leave the corners, uh, that the hand of God can be sufficient. Uh, if He feeds the sparrow, He can take care of us. Uh, I say hallelujah, the Lamb of God. Uh, he said, just do what I want you to do. I'm going to help you. It's my way. Do it my way. Thus I command you. He said, you're about to move in and sit down at a table of parched corn. You didn't even plant the field. You didn't even grow the harvest, but you went out to the barn. You got what you didn't even put in there. He said, he said, before you do, there's some things you must remember. Just remember you was once in Egypt. Remember you was ruined. Remember the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Remember your Redeemer. He said, because of that, you've got a responsibility. Let's step up that. Let's fulfill our duty. God's been too good to us. He's gone too far for us. If he'd have done nothing but saved us, we'd have to say that. But God's done so much more. Let us do what he bids us do. Let us reach out to those that are helpless. Let us reach those in the harvest. Let us live our lives according to his rules. Let us do what he Bids us do without hesitation. Stand your feet, heads are bowed, Brother David, if you will. Want revival? 
I'd say you ought to remember some things. Want God to do something? You ought to remember some things. Some already in the altar. Maybe you want to slip out of your seat tonight. Find you a place of prayer. Maybe you want to start off by saying, Lord, I remember when I was in Egypt. I remember when you saved me. I remember when I didn't see myself as lovable. Nevertheless, anybody else loved me. Lord, I look around today and I'm sitting on a church pew. My family by my side. Ain't God good. Hallelujah. If God done all that for you, if he asked a little something of us, surely we can say, not my will, but thy will be done. Surely we can say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to obey you. Sing when you're ready, Mr. are still coming. Altars are open.
Did you enjoy the message tonight? Amen. Amen. I trust that... uh, I don't know what goes on behind me when I'm up here. But God... (laughs) God bless my heart tonight. And I praise Him for it. A lot... Some of you... Preachers may understand this. Teachers may understand this. Sometimes you need preaching to. Sometimes you need teaching to. And uh, I'm just enjoying it. We have revival next month if you want to. That's fine with me. But uh, I appreciate the good preaching this morning and tonight. He said so many things tonight. And he kind of just left us hanging in it. And so I don't know if he's going to preach some of those things this week or not. But uh, I might take off a couple days and just go find where he's preaching so I can get some more material. But uh, I appreciate the message tonight. I appreciate the Lord working with us and being with us. ask if you will, stay with us now. We're going to have fellowship back here. Uh, We'll say the blessing over here.